This is Justice Matters with Tim Buxton, coming to you from Yugambe country of the Commonberry people of the Gold Coast, Australia. I'm your host, Tim, where my sole aim is to share conversations I get to have with inspiring people doing remarkable work to create a world where we all belong. This podcast is brought to you by the Just Travel Company. Experience wonder and unearth justice and discover the just way to travel today. Visit just-travel.co. Without further ado, here's our guest for this episode of Justice Matters. Tamir, hello. In sunny Tel Aviv, how are you? Good, good. Yeah, it is a sunny day. We get a lot of rain in winter, actually, but today is very sunny. Oh, well, it's sunny here and it's summer in Australia. So, um, and we usually get a lot of rain, actually, in summer. We're kind of like that subtropical climate. But um, we're back on there. We've we've caught up with each other again. Um, so I can't wait to kind of uh, redo this interview with you. Unfortunately, the last time we chatted, uh, Thanks to yours truly, myself. I kind of let the team down. I was sick as a dog, um, and we uh, we had lots of technical issues and difficulties. But fingers crossed, uh, we're going to get through this, and um, and we're going to be able to share your your story, your story, and your husband and your family's story. To be you're the founder of Kite Pride with your husband Matt. Uh, you've been at it for over a decade. It's exciting to see how it's grown and the impact you're having providing meaningful work and employment for those that have been uh, part of the underground sex industry and other aspects of forced slavery in Tel Aviv. Um, I'd love for you to tell, I mean, that's just like an incredible business to start with. Um, Tell us a bit about Kite Pride, what it does, how it impacts not only the people's lives but the planet. The, it's such an all-round incredible business but also where it all began for you. Um, it's a fascinating story and to be, a, to be your friend, to know you and have seen the work firsthand, um, I'm just so excited that you get to share with us about it. Yeah, I'm excited to share too and it's always an honour to share our journey and just get other people fired up to do something to make this world a better place and I always say in order to eradicate injustice, you actually have to own it. You really have to make it your own. You have to look it in the face. If you hear statistics, numbers, um, you know, see the crowds, you, you kind of tend to look the other way or feel overwhelmed because you think I can't do anything anyway. And, but when you mm. actually look into somebody's eyes and come face to face with the victim of that injustice that you're just facing in that moment, it can look very different for everyone. For me, mm. it was looking a human trafficked victim straight in the eye and hearing her story and And then just really saying, hey, I can't forget that woman's face. I can't forget her eyes. Mm. I can't forget her misery. I can't believe what I heard. And then I'm the type of person who I love being in the trenches. And Mm. so I went into brothels and I spent more time just trying to find out the stories of these people. I went in as a massage therapist and – the stories I heard were unbelievable. And 
this all of this led to the final step that we're actually doing now we we've got a social business we're creating employment for these people who actually make it out was because of different people but it was just this one phrase that stuck with me we don't need pity we need jobs mm. and you know who's giving these people jobs who's giving these people with uh pretty much nothing to write in their cv but prostitution like you know right and with all the background and all the trauma that they come with it's very very difficult to give these people jobs i mean i see it today we face it today every day but when you see the person and see their potential and don't label mm. them a lot is possible and so now we're on that journey of refining our whole business model we we refine it every year it doesn't look the same as when it first started um mm. what stayed the same was we take um old and discarded and broken material and we turn it into something new and beautiful so it's a bit like the lives of our people we give them a second chance we we yeah. take their broken lives their their lives that have been discarded and we take them and we see them and we give them opportunities and we give them jobs and we also job place them in other companies that's another project that we're on so it's really about um taking the broken and turning it into something new and beautiful to be like there is probably 10 things that you said then that I'm like oh, we got to talk about that <laughs> we got to talk about that and it's probably because you're on the back of um a big trip where you've been speaking and sharing your journey over throughout Europe you've done a TED talk you've written a book um but what I loved is that you said, look, I love to be in the trenches and I love to come face to face and make something personal that which can so often be quite abstract. I loved how you said we listened to what they said they needed. And so often we can jump in, jump in the water with them to try and rescue them because we see them flailing around and we want to help. But I loved how you and your husband and your family, uh, you've got three amazing kids that uh, we can talk about, you know, your journey of life in a new country because you're from Switzerland originally, Swiss in Israel. Um, I'm sure, yeah, there's another book to write about that. Um, but you're, you, you listened and you said, well, how can we have the greatest impact on their lives? You didn't just want to help one or two. You really thought, how can we do something? And and it's not only the um, these women and trans and other you know all sorts of 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 beautiful people that we all come in beautiful shapes and sizes and all that those those of us in this world of ours that you're serving and helping, but you are um, you're in, you you you're also doing good with the planet like you're you're, you're taking um upcycling material i mean how did you how did you even land on that like like what did it just fall on you one day like hey this is how we're going to do it we've listened they need employment um i'm sure there was a journey to discovering hey this is how we're going to do that and let's make this um a profitable um meaningful business as well yeah, so it really definitely was a journey. And I think that's the key to everything. I think um, so many people don't start with something because they're, 
they're already just too daunted by the actual end result that they see or want to see or envision. And then they're just like, how will I ever get there? And I really think the secret is in the going and in the going yes. doors open and it's, it's while you move that something happens. I mean, if I think back when I wanted to run a marathon, I said that for a while, I want to run a marathon, but if you just want to do it, um, you actually have to sign up and then you have to know, wow, I have a deadline and um, I'm always in competition mm. with myself. So I'm like, there's no way I don't want to do it under a certain time. So you, then you train and you, you put up, a, you know, you right. set up a, a training program and you actually have to keep it to know that you're going to make it. And so it's the mm. same thing with anything really in life that we do. We just need to, like, the vision is there and the dream is there. And there's so many people who say, you know, I have a dream and I see this and I see that, but it often stays there because um, you, people so often just don't move because as soon as one hurdle comes, it's like, oh, this is too challenging. Right. And so it really needs the right team. And I'm here speaking, I'm here sharing, but it's a whole team that made it happen, yeah. um, especially a huge shout out to my husband. He does yeah. the most, really. And he came on board. I had the the dream and the vision and I saw it, but he saw it with me and he made it happen. And just going back to really doing what the need or really filling that actual need, it's another super key point where – so often there are so many well-meant organizations just thinking that they're bringing a solution, but it's not actually what people really need. Yeah. So another key, I think, to, to our success um, is really that we, we ask questions. We, we wanted to know mm. where can we actually fill the gap because there are so yes. many uh, things that you can get involved with, especially helping human trafficking victims. I mean, you need people who actually see them on the streets. You need people who bring them into shelters. You need um, legal advice. You need, uh, you know, task forces in the police force. You need, like, it needs every single person in a chain of events. And at the end, it needs that reintegration because otherwise they mm. stay victims of the system. They stay dependent on a social help and just all of this thing, which which obviously they'll they'll continue needing social services and things like that. But when you see eye to eye with them and actually see them for who they are and give them jobs, that gives them dignity. It gives them value. And, um, and so back to the whole idea, again, we just wanted to create a business that made something really cool that people want to buy because I also know a lot of um, organizations who well-meaningly, you know, they, they make things, little gadgets and stuff, and mm. then people kind of buy them out of pity. Again, we don't need pity. Right. We need people who will think these products are so cool. We actually want that bag. Yes. And at the same time, um, they know that they're empowering a life because it's more than just a bag. It's actually empowering a life. It's saving a life. It's giving a job. It's giving opportunity. It's empowerment. So um, it's really a win-win plus the whole environmental aspect of it taking kite surfing sales, yacht sales, parachutes. Mm. We've added lots of different, very, very robust material mm. that is super long Wet during and, and, and very strong wetsuits, yeah. And it just goes to landfill and it's really something that does not, um, you know, it really, really just fills landfill. It doesn't take, yeah. uh, I just forgot the word, till it really just, you know, deteriorates, yeah, disintegrates, deteriorates, yeah. whatever the word um, is. It, it, Exactly. It just takes forever. So, um, and the idea again, I was telling, 
um, the listeners before. So it's it's really not just me. It's it's talking about an idea. It's having other people come on board. And so the actual final idea of making bags out of kite surfing sails came from a friend, Rebecca. Mm. She was um, a kite of a very avid like kite surfer and designer and seamstress. And she used to fix kites for, for different um, kite surf centers. And whenever she couldn't fix kites, she'd turn them into bags. And then an idea was born and she, she birthed a name and she wanted to actually get it up and running. But then she heard about us and she was like, you know what? I can't actually really make this happen. Right. And it's not my, my whole focus. It's something that I wow. thought of also inspired by other people, but I just want to hand it over. So she actually handed over the name and the label to us, and we then took it to the next level of really turning it into not only a business but a social-minded business that actually exists more for the cause than for the actual product, but then both um, working together and they going hand They both feed into each other, comes. right? They kind of – Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, how cool is that? We got that awesome little inside scoop that that there was another player that just said, "Hey, look, I'm going to let go of this idea of mine, and I'm going to let let it sail in like a little paper boat that you create, and you just let it sail down the river." You know, they, she didn't hold on to it. She thought, "Well, let's see what this becomes." And you guys, you guys stumbled on that little paper boat down the stream and made it into something so powerful. And and the reason why I kind of flashed before because I realized I've got one of your – well, I've got several of your Kite Pride bags. This is my laptop bag I take with me everywhere. I just shove my laptop in it when I get off and, and go places. And um, obviously super cool, super trendy. Um, but I love – I love, you know, circling back to what you said, it started by just starting, by saying, all right, we're going to give this a crack. It's like when you make pancakes, right? The first pancake's always terrible. But by the time yes. you get to the second and the third, you know, you've finally nailed it. You know, the temperature of the pan is at the right spot. You've, you've kind of you, – you've got it all going. And if you give up after that first, you know, let's just be honest, disgusting pancake you've just kind of uh made who whoever gets it right the first time i don't know i I know i don't but um if you gave up after that first one you'd never exist but uh, didn't you also start with some other idea about like pallets and things like that as well yeah exactly so we actually um started with with discarded pallets like euro shipping pallets Mm. uh it was a trend in europe and so we kind of followed that trend in israel because there's a lot of uh outdoor seating and cafes and things and there's a lot of things that are just left on the sidewalk and we had to build our own furniture for our apartment that we moved into that was pretty empty Mm. uh and so we had other friends as well, again, friends who came to say, you know what, you could actually uh, start making really cool garden furniture for people. And it, it, was, it was also a success for a moment, but then it's, this is also a key just in, in the development of everything and just how things developed. And you have to be ready to let go of something, even though it's a really cool idea and yes. the products are really, really cool. We reached a dead end with just being able to sell enough and also export doesn't really happen because it's very, very heavy furniture and a lot of people were in the DIY business and everyone was doing it themselves. Right. And, and it's just one of those things that we just had to let go and look at 
you know, the results and face it and just look at the numbers and say, this is not, we're not going to have ends meet ever. And even though, again, it was so cool, we had to let it go. But the whole idea, we just wanted to make sure that in, in the business idea that we would keep creating, right. we wanted to have something that we would upcycle. So basically, again, that idea of giving second chances, not only to material, yes. but also to people. Yes. So that yes. was kind of our, our whole model. And, um, and so we've stayed in tune with that. And yes, we have another ton of ideas, which might, you know, de like derail from that original fact that it has to be something that has to be upcycled and recycled. Uh, but for the moment and for the beginning, it was really what, what we wanted. Um, start, don't give up. Um, when you get some measure of excess, be prepared to let it go or to let it evolve, let it change. Love how you just said, look, every year we sit down and we reevaluate. And I think, I think those, those principles are just, um, are just priceless really. When you think about it, they are, um, you know, how many great ideas, um, it's like the person digging gold, right? He's digging, digging, digging for gold. And he's like, he's been digging for ages and he gives up right before, he finally finds that treasure and there can be, you know, like you said, there's times when you've got to face the music. Hey, look, whichever way we look at this, this isn't, this isn't working. But um, it didn't mean you gave up altogether. It means you just kind of did a little shift and, and, re and, and changed, changed what you did. Um, I, I think there's, I mean, you've got so many cool products and people can kind of read a bit about, you know, jump onto Kite Pride. We'll have it in the show notes where they can learn a bit about that. Um, tell us a bit about um, the lives of the people you're impacting. I mean, that's got to be the hard, uh, probably one of the more harder parts of your work. I mean, producing a profits uh, product, one thing that's profitable is one thing. I think working with people that, you know, for them, this could be their first job outside of or, you know, or employment outside of a life on the streets or a life that they've, they've, um, you know, otherwise, um, you know, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be proud of if, if you ask them of, of what they're doing and suddenly you're giving them something meaningful, something powering, but I'm sure it can be challenging too, managing the people side and how to integrate them back into society. Tell us a bit about, um, what that's like. <laughs> yeah. So I also had a TED talk on that, actually. It's really a balancing act between the head and the heart. Yeah. So um, I went more into detail about that whole side of things because it's super important to say that we're not profitable yet. We'd love to be. We'd love to say that we're sustainable in a way that we can um, really just make ends meet and be break even every month. So it's important to understand that it's actually a nonprofit that owns the social business. Yeah. And then we feed into it, like whenever there's um, financial gaps, we actually fundraise a lot. A lot of our work uh, exists through fundraising because we pay these people salaries from day one. We make sure that they actually have something to, like, if we don't pay them, they'll obviously have to try yeah. and find other jobs, which is, which won't work. And they take some time to really get into, like, understand the production spaces, uh, manufacturing, sewing, design. Um, again, like we take all these, this old and broken. Mm. 
pause. I hope it won't uh, disturb our recordings. Um, should have put it on air. Oh, you're good. Tell them tell you're on the Justice Matters podcast. They're going to have to talk to you later. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we – so we um, – what was I saying? Yeah, so the nonprofit feeds a yeah. lot into – into the actual business. Fills the gaps, and, keeps it going. And fills the gap, exactly. And um, we want we want these people to, to be empowered and to feel empowered yeah. and to be able to then learn to live with, you know, going to work every day, receiving salary only at the end of the month. Because these people come from, you know, you were asking about how is it to work with these people. So, yeah. first of all, they have to learn so many different things of um, working as a, a prostitute you actually get money at the end of the day and then you have to give, you know, certain money to the pimp and to whatever. Yeah. And to, but it's a daily thing and, and, and everyone that we spoke to and we work with, they say that money just disappears. It's like a hole in your pocket. And so all of these things have to be learned, you know, to work, to have a budget. to And, and so we try and yes. do all of this, but at the same time, we're really a workspace where we're um, – where we want them to yeah, it, not feel that wow. that they're actually being watched and 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 some sort of therapy space because we we want to separate that we really want it to be a place yeah. where they learn to deal with everyday life so it will make them ready for the next workplace like we don't want to keep them within our workshop forever we'd like to give them something to put into their CV we'd like yes. to give them certain tools life tools to be able to say, hey, I worked for Kite Pride and now I'd love to continue studying or, you know, new talents and new um, gifts have been woken and new dreams have been woken up yes. in these people's lives. And so we do have social workers on the job with wow. us who detect, you know, certain things. And But therapy and everything else happens outside of the right. business. So we really want to keep that separated. And all of these people who we employ, they're referred to us by other shelters they they don't come straight off the streets. They have to mm. be free from drugs and alcohol, and they have to be ready to mm. be integrated into, into society. They have to be ready to, you know, live on their own, start this job, uh, start a, a life, an independent life, mm. um, still receiving treatment where they need it, but really just having a normal life like you and me. Yeah. What I hear a couple of things as you talk. One of them is you know your space, you know your lane, you know you're not going to be the ones taking them directly off the streets to transition them into the next stage to the next. You know, you know what? You recognize there's great shelters, there's great organizations that are doing that kind of cutting edge, bleeding edge interaction with them. And then that you re you trust them in the process to refer to you, those that, that that you know will be ready and hopefully successful in in employment with you. The other thing is is the high value you place on them as individuals. You're not willing to sacrifice the salary that they get or the pay that they get. You're not yeah. going to bring it down because of their past or their background. You're valuing them and so you're going to do whatever it takes. You're going to fundraise. You're going to fill the gaps. You're prepared to do whatever it takes to, to sustain that value and importance that you have. And then you surround them with, with, with people that are going to help them succeed. <laughs> There's so yeah. many great things I'm hearing you say. Uh, sorry to repeat it to those of you who probably already got that. But I think, I think, you know, just that value that of premium that you place on the people's lives is, is, uh, it's just phenomenal. And, um, and I know it comes from who you are 
as people. It comes from leadership. It comes from you and Matt. Um, let's chat a bit about that. Let's chat a bit about your family, your background. Um, you talked about being a masseuse in in the past, but you've you've had quite an upbringing and a life um, before you met your husband, before you had these three amazing kids of yours. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion that this passion of yours, this effervescence of life didn't just, uh, it came from somewhere deep in your childhood growing up. Um, am I right? Am I, am I onto something here? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually grew up in Papua New Guinea, which is where my Aussie twang comes from. Come on. Um, you still we... know pidgin English? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> It's a bit rusty now, though, because obviously I don't speak it. Of course. It's really a language that you only speak in that country. But the first 16 years of my life, I grew up in Papua New Guinea. Amazing. My parents were um, missionaries there, and so they built good. a lot of uh, very incredible uh, things. It was very, very. It was a very holistic uh, mission. It was not just um, you know spreading spreading the gospel. The Bible. Yeah. It was really all about uh, really helping. And taking whatever was local and turning it again into sustainable things. For example, my dad helped, you know, indigenous people fix their cars instead of just leaving them on the side of the road whenever it was, didn't work, and then they would just rust on the side of the road. Amazing. Um, just, you know, a lot of a lot of tools into these people's hands, and at the same time, just coming alongside them. So, I grew up seeing that. I grew grew up seeing uh, that whole. Uh, perspective of life to actually live for other people, live beyond yourself, uh, live to pass on knowledge that you've been given, live to pass on um, gifts that you've been given. And so that was really placed into my lap. And so when I, mm. like growing up, I always knew I just wanted to, I wanted to do more. I just wanted to leave people with more. I wanted to add value to other people's lives. But it took a while till I really found, as you said before, you know, I found my lane, but it took a long time to find my lane. It wasn't, and I think that's another key to mm. anyone out there listening to, how, well, what's my lane? What will I do right. in life? It's really about, you know, trying out different stuff. Like it's like a box of chocolates and you try a few and yes, there's a description next to them, but you're like, how will this really taste? So you taste it and you're like, ah, that's not my favorite. So you have to try another one and another one and another one until you've found Come one on. that is your absolute favorite. And so I think it's the same in life. We just need to try things and not be scared of failure, not be scared. And that's another really cool thing about Tel Aviv and Israel. This is a country where people start up things. It's startup yeah. nation. It's it where sure people is. are not afraid to fail. There's so many people who try things out, and then if it doesn't work, they're like, okay, I learned my lesson. I'll try something else. Wow. And so this is something that we really learned here. And um, living in Europe after being in Papua New Guinea for 20 years, I, I had a lot of European stuff put on me and um <laughs> i love the way you say that. In that society. they tried to tame the tiger did and exactly. somehow she got out of the cage yeah uh. <laughs> so you know you have to kind of conform and then you're suddenly again in an environment where you have to fight to survive and sometimes uh fight too much but it really teaches you a lot <laughs> i've of seen things. you out in the surf yeah <laughs> you 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 don't let anyone take your wave no. <laughs> Believe it or not, there is surf in Israel and to be a, you took me out there amongst the locals and we had a blast. But I, I love that I love that kind of mm, I'm gonna wrestle with this. I'm not giving up. 
Um, I'm not. I'm not backing down. Um, and and I and yeah. I, some people they've met you. They met the Tabia from a while ago, ten years ago, maybe fifteen years ago, and then they see you again, and they still have that to be in mind. But you. You've become someone new. You've become something different, and and it can be it can be challenging sometimes. I find. I mean, I'm kind of relating this more to the the concept of of hey, you've lived on several continents and and cultures and and the misunderstandings and the challenges that can be associated with that. But I think all of us have that experience you might have moved out of town and then you know you go back for christmas if you've just had the holidays and you've gone back and and people have pigeonholed hold you what 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 have what has helped you kind of evolve um and become the to be that's a bit more um confident tenacious willing to kind of um you know and i'm not i'm a sh- I'm, I'm sure there's going to be more valleys and hilltops as you go along, but but yeah, I mean you you kick you're killing it. As as much as it, you're you're you there's struggles. You you've you've definitely been an inspiration to me as I've watched you. So what's can you give us some tips on that? Yeah, so um, I actually wrote a book about two or three years ago. I can't even remember. Um, it's called Hashtag No Filter, and mm. it really is. My life. I want to live my life without a filter. Um, just being authentic. People want real, um, and they want you. And yes. so many times, you know, you try to conform to whatever's around you. But how can we actually be ourselves? It's by really knowing who we are, like our identity and all of that. And you can only find that in in. Um, for me, it was really finding it in God. But yeah. it, it's also it's also asking yourself the question. And I write a chapter about that. So. I have uh, really cool kids. They dare a lot. Like, because we're very daring parents, we're also very, you know, freeing parents, I would say. Let them try and make mistakes and do things. But there was one question that I always asked them growing up. Um, and it was whenever they asked me, can I do that? Like something daring. Can I jump off the 10 meter? Can I do a backflip off yeah. the 10 meter? Can I, you know, you know, jump off this cliff? I would ask them, do you feel safe? And it's kind of like that question asking back to self-reflect. Like sometimes we want to hear a yes or a no. We want somebody to say no. We want to, like we might want to dare something and then it's like, I just want this person to say no, you can't do that. And then, oh, yeah, I know, I can't do that. But if somebody actually asks you, do you feel safe or, or do you do you feel good doing that? Then it's Confident that you can do it well, yeah. Turning, turning it back to you saying, okay, wow, what do I need to – that I will feel safe doing it. For example, the backflip off the 10 meter, my son, he was doing that. And um, I mean, who am I as a mum to judge if he really can do it or not? Because he was in a, he was a gymnast. So he's very good at flipping. Of course he hadn't done it from a 10 meter, but I just knew in that moment, who am I to tell him what to do and what he can't and can do. So I asked him that question and he, he just kept going up. And he kept going up and he kept going up and he kind of like picked, I could tell that he was picturing himself doing like the, all the movements, mm. but he always ended up just jumping straight. And after about five, six times, he went up and then the actual lifeguard there counted down. I could just hear the lifeguard count down, three, two, one, go. And I saw him backflip. <sighs> and afterwards I went off up to him. Off the 10 meter. He, yeah. And oh, so my God. I wouldn't even I jump off the 10 meter, let alone backflip. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I went up to him and I said, you know, how did you suddenly have the courage to do it? 
And he said um, it was just the the actual confidence that I built up in myself. Just he kept going and he kept envisioning it and just picturing himself doing it. And at the same time, the lifeguard was watching him jump in general. And he just said, wow, you look like a gymnast. So at one point, Liren asked him, do you think I can do it? And he was like, I believe in you. I think you can do it. And then mm. he said, I count down for you. And so, and, and that's what he needed. He needed that last, not push, but as in like confidence of somebody's believing in him and counting down three, two, one. And I think we all need these kind of people in our lives yes. to be able to do daring things. We need that's people it. who have our backs. We need people who will count down for us um, and see the potential in us and say, hey, I think you can do it. And at the same time, we also need to know our limits. And I mean, I'm one who really, really self-reflects all the time. And I know my limits. I know what I can do and what I can't do. And then you need a team. Mm. And, you know, there's a such an, um, a well-known saying, eagles fly, birds fly in flocks and eagles fly alone. But um, there's also the saying of, if you want to go fast, go yes. alone. If you want to go far, go, go together. Um, go together. And so it's really, it's really those. It's it's the whole fact of okay, an eagle flies alone. Why? Because obviously he's he he also. If you study an eagle, he wages the storms. He does his whole identity work. He knows who he is and all of that. Mm. And then it's it's paired with, um, do I want to go fast or do I want to go far? And, um, I mean, in the whole thing of the eagle, the eagle goes far as well. But at the same time, it's really the flocks that I don't, emigrate. I don't and think an eagle, yeah, can emigrate for exactly, thousands of I miles. Mean. Yeah. That, that's what I mean. So, that, so so it is that that whole togetherness of that whole flock and they always take turns going to the front. And I think that's a thing that we, we do pretty well uh, in our organization. We give a lot of... Hmm. responsibility to our fellow team members they have a lot to they have a lot of say hmm. in our organization um and there's also times where somebody um if you just look at a hierarchy you know they might be something not lower but you know what i mean there's a hierarchy in every yeah. business but there's a time when maybe the the person in the design area will be saying, hey, we need to be doing these bags because that is what, you know, people are asking for at the moment. So it'll be that whole concept of the bird will fly at the front and then the others will follow. And then yes. there's, there's, there's that movement of just really creating a, a, a going far together kind of thing. And I think it really pretty much sums it up how we do life and how we try and lead our organization. This episode is brought to you by The Just Travel Company, your socially responsible travel concierge. Just Travel is the best kept secret in culturally immersive and justice-oriented adventures. Allow Just Travel to take the hassle out of your next trip and experience wonder and unearth justice. Discover the just way to travel today. Simply head on over to just-travel.co to learn more and book your next adventure like our flagship Israel-Istanbul trip, launching out in mid-July 2023. Yeah, I, um, so good. Um, it's it's very, uh, it's a lot more difficult to build a team and to create a team. It's a lot easier, I find, I think, just to be solo and, and, and you don't really have to, to work, you know, work 
um, in tangent with other people. And then you add someone to the mix, it, you know, there's always potential for, for, you know, difference of, of opinions. And, but, um, one of the things you said earlier when you were talking about what, you know, what it takes, the beauty of a team is you're surrounded by people that are committed to one goal. And whilst there might be differences of opinion, you're, going to encourage each other. You're not there to hold each other back. You're not like, you're not whispering over their shoulder, hey, you should do this because you want their job. You're whispering over their shoulder, I think we should try this because you want to improve and help them. And I think when you you build that culture in your organization where there's trust amongst each other, that everyone's got each other's back, that that there's there's always going to be that element. And the other thing, so you talked about, you know, what made you who you are is people in your life that that's championed you, that supported you. Obviously, it started with your parents. It started with obviously Matt, who's like your biggest champion and hero, um, and you're doing that with your kids. And so that's that's an awesome thing. Um, the other thing that you talked about, what well, what – what I deducted this from you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but what I loved what you said is you also practice what you preach. You're not there to um, tell other people what they should or shouldn't be doing. You're there in their lives, not controlling them, saying, yes, you should do this or no, you should do that. You're saying, well, let me throw it back on you. And then what you feel rising up within you I'm going to support you 110% because you know that they're not just relying on playing it safe, playing it safe, let's say, or, 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 or and I love that. I love that approach um, to, to the way you serve and the way obviously you lead your family and kids, but um, those around you. So, man, whoever's listened to them is getting this episode is getting uh, some gold uh, nuggets from you to be a Yeah. Um, you got any thoughts? It sounds like you're about to say something. Yeah, I was just thinking about the whole fact of um, just the points that I kind of talk about also in the chapter in my book. Uh, do you hashtag Do you feel safe? Um, it's really about again, as I said, like you you need to know your limits. You need to know how far you yourself can go, and then what actually makes you feel unsafe before you do it. Like, is it okay? I'm scared that the money won't last, or I'm scared of um, mm. you know find the right people or we won't if we'll be making bags but nobody will buy them or just like the the cool thing about that whole question um and then i have like sub sub points that i explain in the book i won't go into it people can buy the book if they want to but it's it's really about once you know there's a lot of people who might not really know their limits so that's also why they kind of that's probably me but it's really it's just like when you run a race it's a bit like a marathon, you know, people say, you know, am I really a marathon runner? And you're like, well, you won't know until you go. You won't know until you actually run a marathon. Mm. Like what, what body type am I more? And if you're, if you're training for the actual event and at 20 Ks you're already like, there is no way, like my body doesn't seem to be able to do it. You can just say, okay, fine. Nobody has to judge me for that. Like my son wouldn't have judged me for not doing a 10, like a, a backflip off the 10 meter. Cause I know my limits. I <laughs> can't do it. I was never a gymnast. Of course I could do it, but I don't even want to do it. So, yeah. and then, and, 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 you know. Can't believe me, you haven't done a backflip off a 10 foot to be, you've <laughs> just, 
you've just come down so much in my higher respects of you. I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so so and then another point like of feeling safe is really um know who's with you. I think that's another such a uh, like you mm. also just talked about it as you just elaborated what I spoke on and it's really uh know who's with you and if those kind of people aren't with you that have your back then you need to change your environment like it's it's really about um finding people who will compliment you uh in a way where okay if you can't do something if that's your limit you need other people to be able to exceed that limit and then bring you there or do it for you and and that whole play together is really something that will then make you feel safe as well where you just I mean my son needed that that one guy to stand there and just count down but it was part of his success and then Mm. it's not about judging what was better but it's about wow because of that it led to the success and so um, there's so many mm. points within the do you feel safe thing that that I um, love talking about and exploring because it's it's really it's really also about knowing who's with you and then discerning who are your real people and who's your tribe and who's going to actually get you there and so that's another really important thing to work on. To oh my gosh. Be. I mean, I just keep, I'm sure everybody that's listening is reflecting on themselves and asking, well, who do I have in my corner? Who's there for me, championing me on? Who's going to help me get there? Um, and and as, as I reflect and think about that, um, I'm probably someone that doesn't know their limits and probably need people that, hey, Tim, you're kind of overextending yourself a little bit here. Great, great, great idea. But I guess the worst thing someone could say to me, though, and this is me being a bit vulnerable, is when I'm sharing an idea or sharing something, because I've always just got something that's exciting to share with somebody, is the worst thing someone can say is without fully listening to me or asking questions or being curious about where I'm coming from is to point out all the reasons why they don't think it's a good idea. It could be the worst thing you can do to me. It'll almost, even if it, they're right and it's a bad idea, them telling me all the reasons why not will fuel me to be like, well, here's how I'm going to prove you wrong. And I'll kill myself proving you wrong. There's that pride that rises up within me that, you know, the, that will end up being the, the downfall. But again, when you're surrounded by people who say, oh, that's a fascinating idea. Tell me more about it. Where did that come from, right? Like that idea of I'm going to nurture this. I've heard it called it in like business brainstorming and um, we did a bunch of it with you met Jeremy who's on my board um, with You Belong and and he did these sessions with us where we'd just brainstorm as a group and it's called greenhousing. You know, things grow when in a greenhouse, right? And what's yeah. one of the most powerful ingredient, ingredients in a greenhouse, obviously you can have the greenhouse but if you don't have sun, Nothing's going to grow within that that greenhouse. Sun is the most important element that you have imp- impacting the growth of those plants. Um, and so the sun stands for suppress. The first thing you should do when you share an idea in a brainstorming is everyone else needs to suppress all their opinions <laughs> about how bad that idea is. You know, you, yeah. you, if you've ever sat down and someone's like, it might be the most outlandish idea and you're like, seen it before, blah, 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 you blurt out again against it no suppress all of those thoughts rising up you 
stop them at at the thing the next thing is 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 understand so you've got to seek to understand what where that person's coming from right i'm going to ask questions so tell me more about that idea or tell me where did that come from ask questions so that you can understand really what they're saying and then the the third thing is nurture Nurture that idea. Let's see. It might be a really crazy idea. Let's go as far as we can go with that idea and yeah. let's just go on the rabbit trail for a minute, on the roller coaster of this idea. You never know. And and he says, you know, he does it for a living as as um, global head of design for his firm that he's a part of and works with designers and inventors around the world. And he says some of the most incredible ideas come out come from ideas that you just w- never would have thought were 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 you know when they were first floated were going to be anything um so anyway that's kind of my two cents kind of building off of what you were saying this kind of idea of surrounding yourself with people um and i've so i've made it a goal in my life you know um to be careful who i share my ideas with to be careful who i share my passions with not because um you know uh um, I don't want to hear criticism or negative feedback, but I know myself enough to know. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I need, you know, I need to protect myself from from acting out of spite and try to prove people wrong just because I've heard, you know, like, nah, that's a dumb idea. Anyways, yeah. I'll it's stop so, talking. It's so important to, to really have those people and, as, as you said, like to know who they are because, I mean, we've had that too. I've had outrageous ideas and then, you know, people might smile because they know I'm I'm the one. I'm the pioneer type person. Yeah. I would say actually, Kypride and Global Act would not exist anymore if it were just for me because I'm the type of person who, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do it, and then I'll neglect it and move on to the next one. And so it really does take that whole, um, you know, herd of people, yeah, to to, to come on board to then actually. Uh, follow through with it because ideas are great, but they need to be followed through. And then they also have to be certain, yeah, there's a price to pay. And if we'd all be pioneers, you know, it would just be one chaotic place on this Mm -hmm. earth because Mm -hmm. everyone has too many ideas. And and also you talked about it before about the asking questions. It's something so important where I just find that there are a lot of social movements and and different, you know, organizations that exist and – I'm not pointing fingers. I don't. I don't know one that I'm just you know talking about yeah. now. That, that, that I, but it's just that oftentimes they're well meant, and we think we're helping. And I'm really speaking for myself now because yeah. I, I had this um, this. It was actually quite crazy when I went into the brothels as a massage therapist. Um, I I was I only meant well, like I meant so well by mm. telling the, the girls there and the men and whoever was there working. Um, I, I would just say, you know, you don't have to pay me. I'm, I'm coming for free. Like this is just a gift to you guys, and I meant it so well. Mm. And then one of the girls had the courage to stand up to me and say, "You are looking down on me by coming um, in that way to say that I can come to you for free because you are a professional massage therapist, and every single client that comes to you has to pay you money. Why mm. would I?" not have to pay you money. That's because I'm a poor prostitute who, who, who needs oh. help, who needs pity, um, mm. and, 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 uh, and you're telling me that you're giving me this as a gift, like you're, you're looking down on me. You are not meeting me at eye level. And I was like, 
I was so shocked, but at the same time, you know, truth hurts, but it was, it was, she, she taught me a, such a valuable lesson. Mm. And from that moment on, I went with a completely different approach. I would ask people and I would say, normally I take, you know, 50 bucks for, for, for an hour. I'm just saying anything. And, um, and then, you know, you can pay me now, you can pay me later. And that approach, knowing full well that they won't be able to pay me, but just the, it was such a different approach. It was mm. giving them that opportunity. It was lifting them up to, to a normal client of saying, hey, normally I take this much, um, you know, pay me now, pay me later. And, I mean, somebody rarely paid me. This one girl then actually did pay me like twice. Yeah. Um, but but it, was, it was just the, the way of asking and the way – yeah. Of, of approaching them where I realized it taught me a valuable lesson for everything we do now. I don't think we ask enough questions. I yeah. think that so often we assume that we're doing well and we're, we're helping the needy and we're helping the poor, but so often we come from a higher place, even though we don't mean it that way. Yeah. I meant it so well, but I yeah. came as a, I'm better than you. You can't pay me. Well, she did you a favor, didn't she? In the end, it it hurt to begin with. And, um, you know, and it comes back to what you were saying before, living with authenticity, no filters, um, and having the courage to kind of, you know, uh, stand for for what you are or or to to say what, I mean, kudos to her to actually have the courage because it can be extremely difficult for people that, obviously feel less than in a social environment, in a group, to be able to like, no, I know my worth. (laughs) I know my worth. And I'm going to tell you that my worth is the same as everybody else. Um, And I I love that about what you do. I love that about um, everything that's baked into restoring worth to those that, society otherwise deem as worthless um now you've you've grown up with a passion for justice this passion to to leave this world a better place um you fight for it every day has there ever been a time in your life when you realized you got it wrong apart i mean maybe you just shared that that wonderful story where you got it wrong but is there anything else that you could you could say hey look i thought i was i thought i my understanding of justice was right, but now I know, and I've and I know different. And it's not to say now I know the the right answer, but it's now I realised, you know, in my attempts to kind of to 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 do this work because uh, I think it it is helpful to have a good dose of humility along this journey. Of what we're doing yeah. um, is there anything yeah, that, that comes to mind? Those, yeah, that was definitely one of those moments where. Um, it really hit me where, again, you know, so often, especially also growing up uh, as a Christian, just being taught, you know, to to care for the needy and just to be yeah. social and to offer this. And then there's food banks and there's this and that. And you can go and volunteer. And, and without knowing, we often come from a place of I'm better than you, as in right. I have the ability to give to you and you don't. And so, you know, you're getting this. For free. I don't mean that we suddenly have to charge food, um, charge money for food banks. Not at all. I'm really not saying that food banks are something wonderful, but it's about an attitude of how we might see people or meet them. And yeah. we say, you know, it's such a saying, I want to meet you at eye level, but do we really do that? And I think mm. also employing the people that we do. Another thing that I learned again from a, from a vulnerable, honest, courageous girl who spoke up 
uh, she said to me, you know, you don't do me a favor by excusing me um, whenever I call in sick. Uh, you don't, you seem to just trust me that I'm really, that I really am sick, but actually I'm really depressed at the moment. I don't feel like coming into oh, no. work. I, uh, I, you know, I'm thinking of going back to prostitution even because it's too hard, the pain is too big or whatever. But we would just, wow. and we would oftentimes like excuse their behavior because thinking again, oh, but they're coming from a place of, um, you know, uh, of brokenness. And again, I would devalue them. Like she said, you made me feel less than because she said, I know that mm. like a head designer or the head seamstress would call in sick. Obviously, you know, you wouldn't ask, well, how are you really feeling? Whatever. And you wouldn't go check on that person as in go sure. and control or check, you know, but at the same time, um, the many times that she called in sick and often just said, I'm not coming to work, I'm not coming to work, I'm not coming to work, would give them chance after chance after chance. And she said, I want the same boundaries. I want the same wow. um, limits. Man. I want the same conditions, in, you know, in my work contract as everyone else. Otherwise, I am the poor girl again that you just have given a chance to. You're, and- you're reinforcing my victim status, right? You're reinforcing exactly. the fact that. That I'm exactly. poor and weak and a victim, and she didn't want that. Exactly. Oh and wow! So, yeah, and, and and it's just things where you just go, wow! I can't, I can't believe I got it wrong again. You know, you I gotta be so the, well. I gotta be, I gotta be the stern, you know, the the stern boss. Sometimes I've got to, yeah. I've got to actually um, ensure that I'm, um, yeah, I'm, I'm making sure. As everybody else is treated, so is so is she. Oh, that's yeah, so good. So, so that was definitely one of those moments. Or also just um, to the question of getting justice wrong. Uh, I think so. Oftentimes, we just we have a lot of compassion for the actual victim who's in prostitution, but we don't really ask the why behind why people are pimps. And so, when I met Ooh, a pimp, there you go. Story, yeah. I just realized he was just as much a victim of life circumstances as the one that he then abused mm. and misused and used as a product because his whole life um, he was also mistreated and he wanted to get even with mankind and he wanted to have some control and some power over people because he himself had been abused as a kid or whatever and then he got into the wrong circles and just understanding their part of the story i don't say i excuse any behavior um but it just opened up a world where i oftentimes only pointed fingers at the ones buying and at the ones um you know those who worked as pimps or those who worked as traffickers mm-hmm. you don't really ask their why in life you just think yeah. they're just the worst and the most of course evil you do that you've ever um, but encountered but think- so yeah so that was another thing where i i oftentimes judged them more than i judged the actual girls who were or men and transgenders and whoever name it in prostitution i tend to i tended to have and i still do but i i did see that side where i tend to see the victim more but these people are victims as much as the other ones are and it's wow for starters um what 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 I I mean what I even heard you say is this this person this kid this pimp that grew up 
was obviously abused to some extent and taken advantage of in a system, well, that's the only system they they knew. They didn't know any other system and so they thought, well, I don't want to be the abused one anymore. How do I rise to the top of the pile? And all they were doing were trying to get, protect themselves and trying to self, be in self-preservation, right, which we all would do in, in to one extent. Um, and and I love that it's justice is more about um, it's, it's more than just um, the individual, which it is. It's like this back and forth, but it's also the system that they're, they're all victims of, everyone part of it. And so I think that's so important that um, – you're providing a way to to kind of address the system as well as serve the individual. You're providing a new means, a new means of of honest hard work and employment, satisfaction, and giving them. You know, I love the way that too that you like. You know, this isn't going to be your job for the rest of your life. This is just a stepping stone for whatever you want to be and do. And I can't wait to see what Kite Pride becomes as well. I can't wait to see what you and Matt get up to in the future because as much as Kite Pride is your baby, I'm I'm sure there are uh, incredible other um, adventures and dreams and ideas that you guys um, will continue to create together. Um, How how can people... (laughs) Um, how can people kind of follow you, learn about, you've got your TED Talk, which, what's the title of the TED Talk again? The Balancing Act Between the Head and the Heart. Balancing Head Act, Act Between the Head and the Heart. You've got your book, No Filter, which we need to mention is available in English. So, um, yeah. unfortunately, all my German listeners out there, she's sold out. You can't get the copy in German just yet. You'll have to wait on back order for that. But the English version is available. I highly recommend you read uh, read it and especially some of the stories that she kind of you've even talked about on the podcast, a, a kind of uh, reference there. Um, you guys have... Instagram, socials, um, yeah. buy, you ship internationally so you can buy their products. Definitely jump on and get get your Kite Pride gear. There's so many cool ways people can actually get it, like businesses if they want to get it for their employees or they've got a conference coming up and they want to give a cool gift to people that pay that really nice price for their conference and get a cool gift. I mean, there's just so many ways um, you guys are uh, active and and doing stuff. So, uh, is there anything I've missed? Anything that you'd want to highlight people to follow and and get on board with? No, I think we've uh, covered it pretty much all, or I've at least tapped into everything. And again, yeah, just uh, we we keep our website very very up to date. So we have kitepride.com with all the business side of things, and then we have Global Act, which is uh, a wordplay glow as in glow. And yes. then global, a global issue, and act upon it. So global act. Um, Love that's our it. nonprofit side of things. And uh, we have a newsletter you can subscribe to. We have ways to get involved by sponsoring an employee. We have a lot of ways where people can feel like part of a bigger picture. You don't have to travel to the other side of the world to, to, to get your hands dirty. You can actually do it from your home, home office. Right. So, um, yeah. Well, speaking of which, I'm traveling and will be traveling to Israel and back there to visit you guys with a couple of teams in June. 
um, because this podcast is supported by Just uh, Just Travel uh, Co. And so there are ways you can actually come and get a sneak peek behind the scenes, see the incredible work that you guys are doing. Come visit us, go for a surf in the sea, have some great hummus in Joffa or the cool trendy downtown Tel Aviv restaurant you took us to, which was so much fun. Um, but also um, see what amazing things are happening on um, in that beautiful country of Israel, and uh, and um, I yeah I just I just think it's um, uh, it's so exciting that we live in this day and age where we can be part of solving these Im- immense problems, and it's not it's not business versus social impact organizations it's actually coming together and all of us working together to accomplish this you guys are a shining light in that thank you so much for your time again to be around too i think we smashed it out of the park our technical difficulties were uh very minimal so um can't wait to release it it's gonna be so good yeah thank you so much for having me Thanks for making it to the end of another episode of Justice Matters with Tim Buxton. It is an immense privilege to share these conversations and inspiring people with you. To learn more about how you can get involved or learn more about today's guest, head on over to the show notes or episode description. This podcast was produced by the master himself, Jose Biotto, with just a little bit of help from me. The featured music is the song Turning Over Tables by The Brilliance. Lastly, to my Patreon community out there, thank you so much for your support and generosity. Without you, this podcast would not be possible. If you'd like to become a patron and get exclusive access to behind-the-scenes content, visit patreon.com forward slash justice matters and start your give-what-you-can monthly contribution today and join me and so many others in creating a world where everyone belongs. Until next time, thank you for subscribing and sharing this podcast with your friends. Justice Matters with Tim Buxton acknowledges and pays respect to the past, present and future traditional custodians and elders of this nation, now known as Australia, and the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.